Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. We're back for another episode of some of the very best bits, this time from Series 2. Throughout my time on LPO Offstage, there have been so many interesting revelations from the musicians, from how it really feels to audition for an orchestra, to the importance of nerves. Horn player Mark Vines has learnt how to tune into the excitement of being nervous, but without the side effects. There's, for me, I mean, what Peter's saying about using those nerves, that's really important. The adrenaline that courses through you in a concert is so important. Just as Peter's saying, you need that adrenaline to have that excitement, to have that communication with the audience. But mm. the, the way I see it is there are side effects to the nerves. So um, you want the main effects of the nerves, but you want to mitigate those side effects. So you need to find a way of reducing those. So for me as a horn player, the physical side effects are shallow breathing and shakes these are things that can happen and um so i have to find ways of stopping that happen because i don't want to be breathing <laughs> shallowly <laughs> otherwise i can't play the horn i don't want the shakes i need to be in control so for me the process starts really really early in the day of trying to make that not happen so that when i get on stage i don't feel that i just feel the excitement the other thing that nerves feel up to me is is the mental gremlins um, so that's the thing that can creep in is those little voices in your head saying, oh, what if I split this note? So, again, you have to fight against that. So for me, the way nerves can feel, they can feel very good. They can give you that adrenaline, that excitement, but you have to avoid the side effects. And then if you can get onto stage without feeling those side effects, then then you've won. That's a really interesting way of putting it. People always ask me, do you get nervous on stage? And I always say no. But the things that you've described there means that I do. <laughs> you know, those gremlins that say, uh, do you think you're prepared enough for this? Will you be able to play that line? You know, um, all of those kind of doubts, which I think do run through our minds all the time. It's interesting the battle that happens in a musician's mind and in their body before they go to play. And talking about breathing, I picked up a really fantastic tip from Yo-Yo Ma where he said that very often, this is for when you have to start very softly, very calmly. And a lot of concertmaster solos do start like that. For example, Strauss's uh, Four Lost Songs, uh, the solo starts from uh, really so intimate, or the Die Frau ohne Schatten big violin solo, incredibly scary to, to start out of nowhere like that. Uh, very often, uh, Yo-Yo Ma said, very often we overload our brain with oxygen because we're always taught you know, breathe, breathe and everything. But uh, if you need to start something really relaxing quietly, try to deprive your brain for a second of oxygen. I, before I breathe completely out, a few seconds before I have to start, I completely drain myself from oxygen and it brings this really calm feeling. And then once I start playing, then I start breathing again. And I just picked that up from Yo-Yo Ma and it is unbelievable how it helps me. It is so true. So I, I, I don't know if it will help everybody, but I can really encourage anyone to try that because, you know, we, we tend to breathe in a lot, but we forget to also breathe out. Yes. And it's something that would actually work even when you think of uh, non-musicians doing public speaking or, you know, even at a birthday party when they say speech. I know a lot of people are like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to say? But actually that breathing out, exhaling and just being present. Uh, yeah. I love that. I'm going to yeah, give that yeah. a go. 
Such a useful tip from the leader of the LPO, Peter Schoolman, via Yo-Yo Ma. Now, what about the LPC? This is the London Philharmonic Choir who bring voices to pieces like Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. They rehearse with conductor Neville Creed each week, but then perform with many different conductors. LPC member Caroline Morris describes how Neville prepares them for anything. He does this amazing job of preparing us to work with lots of different styles of conductor that, yes. that do the main concert. So it will often be that we'll work with him. And then as we get towards the last few rehearsals, he'll start to talk to us about what we might or might not get in yes. terms of style, in terms of bringing us in and in certain places so that we can be prepared for that. So it's a really, a really nice way of working to get us ready. But obviously when you see someone for the first time who you've not worked with before, there's, okay, what, what are we going to get today? What are we going to get from yes. this conductor? And so you've got to be really, really well prepared to be able to respond to their different styles of working. And some conductors give the choir a lot and some conductors give the choir next to nothing. Yeah. And when you don't know and you haven't particularly worked with that conductor before, the first few minutes are, right, okay, this is this is what this is going to be like. You kind of feel it in the choir. Yeah, You're all standing really close together. No one's talking to each other, but you can feel everybody go, Right. Okay. Strap in. We're going to have to really like, and and all of a sudden, everybody's listening to each other so Using hard. Your sixth sense, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that collective feeling that you get with a choir mm. and singing in such a big choir, even in a small choir. That feeling of togetherness and working together, and then on top of that, when you've got an orchestra as well in yeah. the room, and it's the feeling of that is just so fantastic. And I think we've all been missing it a lot. It's so amazing how choirs become one organism. Now back to the LPO. Violinist Min Majo and trumpeter James Fountain take us through the audition process. Generally speaking, you apply to do an audition and auditions vary all over the UK and even, you know, comparing the UK to, say, America or on the continent as well in Europe, there's slightly different processes, but here you audition and then if you succeed, you get put on a trial period, um, which can last a year, two years. I've heard of someone's lasting for eight years. Eight years trial. Yep. <laughs> Garrett's nodding. That which, is nice. <laughs> which is a shocker. Wow. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it's basically like a process of elimination where people kind of figure out whether your style suits with the orchestra and, and that sort of thing. And then hopefully you get the job at the end. Uh, so, so I'm still flawed on the eight years. James, with the, <laughs> with the trials, what does it feel like as the musician knowing you're on trial? Is there, is there rest? I mean, the, the word trial makes it sound like you're being assessed all the time. So if you were on trial for that long, is it a relaxing experience? Are you enjoying making music at that point? I, I couldn't imagine being on trial for, for that. And that amount yeah. of time that would, um, yeah, you'd be totally um, self-analyzing every minute of <laughs> every day. Um, I, I had kind of two experiences, once with the RPO, which was very different because I was um, a student 
still at the Guildhall. So um, everything that was coming with that trial was completely new and I, I never even dreamed of the job coming my way. So it was more kind of, mm. you just took the work that was coming your way and used it as a learning experience. Um, when I trial for the LPO, yeah, I, again, I think, like I touched on earlier on, you can only control the things that you can control. So my way of approaching it was very much kind of be yourself. And, and I think it is sometimes easier in a way with a principal position because you can come in and just play your way and touch wood they like it if they don't then that's fine and I think to cope with the kind of the mindset of being on trial as well you've got to almost flip it round and and realize that okay whilst you're on trial for the position you can almost feel as if it's the orchestra is on trial for you and and Absolutely. if it doesn't work there's no point being somewhere if every day you go to work and you don't enjoy it or it doesn't feel natural so um Absolutely. Yeah. that that's just a little way of kind of flipping that nervousness that, yeah. round as well which helps for me yeah they've got to treat you they've got to treat you because yeah you've got to want to be there I like that that's shifting the power there James yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) it's all about you (laughs) I still can't believe that eight-year trial now on LPO of stage we do some deep dives into pieces that the LPO have recorded or performed trombonist Dave Whitehouse explains why a simple fanfare in Rachmaninoff's symphonic dances is actually quite difficult we play the fanfares that come in between the waltz sections the whole brass section plays these fanfares and we have to use our mutes for that so it's a very sort of very closed sort of sound closed and yet metallic and It's a weird sort of fanfare. And just from a practical point of view, trying to play that, the rhythms are, well, they're not difficult, but again, it's the ensemble Mm. that makes it difficult. So trying to get it playing at the same time as your colleague. And every note has got some kind of dynamic instruction on it. So it could be forte, piano, crescendo, accent, you know, every, every single note is kind of different. If everybody does the same thing at the same time, then it sounds great. So what are you thinking when you play this piece? What I'm actually thinking is, I've got to try and get that accent on that note. <laughs> and I'll get piano on that note, crescendo on that note, and get the crescendo at the same speed as the, the person on my right and the person on my left, and also get that semiquaver at the same time as the first trumpet, because who will often lead it, because we're often a long way from the conductor, and there's all mm. sorts of... Yeah, it's a good job we don't get many of the tunes, because um, I don't know I've got, if I've got time to uh, indulge in a tune, really. We're just too busy trying to play rhythmic accuracy. When you're recording these pieces, are you seeing the film at the same time or is it just about the music, your sight reading, you're you're in it and performing together? So, no, we're not seeing the film as Uh we're recording it. That would probably be too distracting. (laughs) What we are doing, which is different to the concert hall again, is wearing a set of cans. And this is like a chunky kind of 80s headphone, or it certainly is in Abbey Road, but with one side cut off Uh so that you can hear the click track in one ear and you can hear the orchestra and your own sound in, in your other ear. I mean, I hate performing with click tracks. Um, anyway, you're used to looking at the conductor and feeling your tempo and feeling the wave in the music. Is that distracting in itself? 
It feels a bit of a straitjacket because normally <laughs> music is a living, breathing thing. And even yes. if you tried to play it twice exactly the same, it just wouldn't be. No. It, it's a natural process. So to put this click track on and play precisely with it, I mean, it's a very good discipline. I think every musician should be able to do this. Yes. But as I say, it does feel a little bit straitjacketed at times. Now, bass player Hugh Kluger reveals some of the organisational challenges of travelling between countries, especially post-Brexit. I come at it from the perspective of an Australian who, whenever I came to the UK, I had to get uh, visas, different types of visas. When I joined the LPO, they sponsored me. And then Mm. when I was working with some orchestras throughout Europe, I was having to get visas for every country I went to, which I can tell you, especially, actually, I won't name names, but some of the warmer (laughs) climate countries down the south in Europe are impossible to deal with. I got invited to do do a festival in, in Italy not that long ago, and I ended up taking 90 pages of documents, including passport oh. photos of the festival director, including all this stuff. And they, at the end of the day, I was not granted a working visa to do four days of playing in Italy at a festival. Oh. That's, that's how tough it is. And oh. I think, in a way, I know how difficult it is. And it, imagine trying to get visas for several different countries in a row when sometimes your passport is stuck in an embassy for you yes. don't know if it's going to be a week or a month or two months which sometimes it is. And so I had two Australian passports so I could take them to different <laughs> different embassies to get stamps put in them. And I actually have the feeling that no one understands just how bad it's going to be for our industry, how, how horrible Brexit is really going to be. It's easy to say it's just a stamp and all this kind of stuff. But as Yang says, it's the details that when you really consider that you cannot get enough visas in, in enough time in order to go on tour, I mean, let alone while your passport's stuck in an embassy wanting to go on holiday somewhere. So, okay, you can't go on holiday anymore because you're waiting for a work visa. All this kind of stuff. Um, it does, yes, it does make me think about what would it be like to work in Europe. Um, I actually was lucky via descendancy to get an Austrian passport lately. Well done. And I, oh, I do nice. sometimes think, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's going to make yeah. my life a whole lot easier to work in Europe. And the fact that you can just get the train around and not deal with these bureaucratic nightmares. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that being said, I love my orchestra and I love the way we work. But yeah, it's definitely food for thought when I think of all the challenges that Brexit's going to put in front of us. It's not going to make anything better, that's for sure. It's definitely been a tough couple of years for the players on many fronts. This next clip is from an episode that was a feat of technical logistics and time zones for us. Philharmonics from across the world come together. Berlin Philharmonic viola player Matthew Hunter and New York Philharmonic horn player Leelani Sterrett compare audition processes. Peter's nerves advice would come in handy here. In contrast to the other orchestras, um, every member of the orchestra is taking part in, in listening to the final round. And everyone, including the conductor, gets just one vote. Right. So the final audition consists of the candidate performing with piano accompaniment in our hall, a concerto. And the most recent audition, we just let them play for 15 minutes. We didn't stop anyone. Just play. And it sometimes can be a very long discussion. And then there's, there's a vote. And to get offered a position, there has to be a majority plus one. Right. And then having gotten the 
offer of a position, then the tenure period is two years. And at the end of the tenure period, you have to have two-thirds plus one. Wow. wow. Then the job becomes permanent. Does it ever happen that you nearly get a two-thirds vote, but not quite, and then you just have to go? Is that... That's right. Is that... Yeah. Wow. Sometimes the vote comes down to literally one vote difference. Yeah. And then if someone says, well, you know, we need to recount... We actually had a process called the Hammelsprung, which means that everyone leaves their seats and the people who are for go on one side of the hall, people Whoa. who are on against go on the other side. Oh so, that, so, I mean, <laughs> that's, what an experience. That's the most extreme case. Of course, mm. um, the, the vote for a final tenure vote is done in writing. Mm. It's by secret ballot. Wow. How does this sound, Lilini? Is this Does this sound grueling? How was the audition process for the New York Phil? It sounds grueling. It also sounds terrifying. I think of my own audition process and then I think about what if it had meant playing it for the full Berlin Philharmonic or the, the full New York Philharmonic in my case. But our process is different. Um, we have a small committee basically representing the orchestra through the whole process from the preliminary rounds all the way through the tenure vote, actually. So it'll be generally nine to 12 people who are listening and it's very much round based. So there's generally a preliminary that's very open in our case. We try to hear everybody who wants to do an audition. And we recently expanded our audition protocols to allow for both live auditions and recorded prelims. Both are prelims. There's no sort of a pre-screening round or anything like that. So we try to make it possible for everybody who who sends a resume to audition and we hear them play the same quite brief list of excerpts. And I think maybe this is different to, to Berlin and I don't know about LPO Seb, but I mean, we are very, very heavy towards the orchestral excerpts versus like a solo for your instrument. And really we'd probably go through about three rounds before getting to, or two rounds before getting to a final round. And when you're down to that point, maybe only a handful of people, two, three or four or five people, when you would play some solo repertoire with a pianist. And it's really only in the final round that the music director is in the picture. And similar to the other orchestras, I think we, we have a probationary year in our, or well, not a year, it's 18 months, actually. Mm. At the end of that time, the same audition committee who heard you and all the members of your section, we, we do a vote for tenure. So, and you'd need a majority to pass there. Lilili there giving us an insight into the audition process in the New York Philharmonic. Now, back to Mark and how some people keep their cool. After listening to this episode, many other players revealed that they had no idea Peter and Mark are ever nervous. I'm going to add to that, um, yeah. and it actually goes back to something you said earlier in the podcast, uh, Yolanda, about you always tell people you don't get nervous on stage. Mm. I know plenty of people that would say the same thing, and they, they just they absolutely would insist they don't get nervous. I've got no way of knowing. In fact, before this conversation, I wouldn't have known Peter gets nervous. I've got no way of knowing whether other players get nervous, and it's quite probable that some don't. But I do think a lot of people that say they don't get nervous, that's part of their strategy. That's part mm. is, is that sort yes. of projecting that toughness. That positive. Is that, yeah, it's their positive thinking, it's their armory. You don't want to portray any weakness to other people, so it is part of the strategy. So, yeah, everyone has their ways of coping that people do medicate in various different ways. And that can work for some people. It can also be destructive. 
um, mm. if you if you get the balance wrong. So it's a, for me, it's a dangerous road to go down, and I've always tried to avoid that. Mm. But that's not to say it doesn't work for other people. Mm. So so everyone, as Peter says, everyone has their own private way of dealing with it, and mm. it's quite unusual, I think, to be talking about it like this. <laughs> it is, <laughs> but hopefully quite therapeutic by the time we get to the end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, either that or Mark and I are going to be shaking through the rest of yeah. the season. No, Just don't no, we're no, we are going to get to, to July. <laughs> To hear more from Mark and Peter talking about nerves and how to deal with them in any situation, check out episode two of series two. The whole series is available wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Giving us some technical insight today was horn player Mark Vines, violinist and leader of the orchestra Peter Schumann, London Philharmonic Choir member Caroline Morris, violinist Min Majo, trumpeter James Fountain, trombone player Dave Whitehouse, violinist Kate Virchel, double bass player Hugh Kluger, Berlin Philharmonic viola player Matthew Hunter, Leelani Sterrett, Associate Principal Horn in the New York Philharmonic and double bass player in the London Philharmonic Orchestra, Sebastian Penner. Thanks so much for listening. Listener.